Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and uh, it feels like we're just going at this at a rapid pace, doesn't it? We're just going to get right to it. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles. Um, we are still in uh, John 17. We're at uh, verses 22 and 23, page 1074 in your pew Bible. I'll give you a second. And it reads, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Now, don't close your Bibles yet. You see, we've been studying this prayer for a long time. So long that I think we all just need to step back for a second and survey the landscape. So I want you to just kind of flip back a few chapters and kind of maybe look at some of those, you know, headings and see uh, some probably familiar passages of Scripture there. You'll notice that uh, Jesus says he was leaving the disciples soon. Notice there's the passage about him preparing a room. He was sending them the Holy Spirit. You see all that? He knew the end was drawing near, and this was his last chance to tell him one more time all the things that he really wanted them to remember. Now let's um, flip forward to after this prayer. And the thing that happens immediately after in chapter 18, he's arrested, right? But he knew it was coming. Because notice what he says to Peter in 18, verse 11. He says, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So you see, what that tells us is this prayer is the very last thing that Jesus says and he does for his disciples. In the book of John, these are Jesus' last words. We value last words, right? We treasure them. We store them in our hearts. Now I want you to read verse 22 in our scripture one more time. The glory that you have given me and I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I think the word glory is a bit tricky here. You know, I tend to think of glory as praise most of the time in my head when I um, think about the word glory, as in giving glory to God or giving praise to God. But that doesn't really work here, does it? So that probably isn't what Jesus means because Jesus isn't bestowing praise on us. My study Bible says that the word glorify means to make visible the presence of God. And I think that's much closer to what uh, Jesus is speaking to here. You see, what he's doing is he's claiming a transformation for you and for me. He's praying that we come to know him and accept him as our Savior, and that we're changed by that experience. We're transformed. We become glorious, just as Christ was glorious. We become people who make visible the presence of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, we're being transformed day by day by the Holy Spirit. The more that we behold the glory of the Lord, the more we're changed by that experience. The more we become like the one that we are looking at. In other words, Jesus is saying, the glory God made visible in me that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. You see, we speak a great deal about Jesus' work on the cross, his dying so that our sins might be forgiven so that we all can have an eternal life with God. But this is something different that Jesus is praying for. Jesus is praying for God made visible inside of us so that God may be visible to the whole world, just as God was visible to the whole wide world inside of Jesus. He was praying that we would look at one another and see this transformation inside one another and recognize our oneness, recognize that we're one with one another as we're one with Jesus, as we're one with God. You see, transformation's a powerful thing. Last week, I was very privileged to sit down with Betty Chinnis's uh, Sunday school class while she was out of town. I've been, I've been taking a class in seminary on studying the Gospels, and one of my assignments was to present a theme from that Gospel to the Sunday school class. Yeah, they have this crazy notion. They expect you to demonstrate what you've learned in seminary by teaching classes and doing things like that. It's crazy talk, crazy talk. Anyway, I chose the book of John, and the theme that I selected was uh, Jesus' identity as God's son. And see, people are transformed or not by whether they can accept that fundamental truth. And I encourage you to uh, read chapter 9 one more time because it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. But I'm going to summarize it for you this morning because it tells of Jesus healing this man who's been born blind. And people are so amazed by this fact that they can't even, some of them say, that's not even the same guy. That's not even the same guy. So the, the Pharisees, they, they bring this guy in for questioning. And they ask him, well, what happened to you? And he says, well, this guy, Jesus, he put mud on my eyes, and now I can see. And then he calls Jesus a prophet. Well, the Pharisees, they can't, they can't believe that story, so they bring his parents in for questioning. And the parents say, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind, but we don't know anything about how he came to see. The whole thing's kind of reminiscent of a police interrogation. You know, I don't know anything. Don't ask me. So they bring the newly sighted in one more time, and that exchange reads like this. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man, and they're speaking of Jesus here, is a sinner. And he answered, Well, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Well, the Pharisees, they didn't like that at all. And they just drove the man out. 
And then Jesus, he seeks them out again. And then this conversation ensues. And he asks them, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, well, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. You see, the encounter is one of transformation. The blind man was not only physically blind, but he was spiritually blind, just like all of us, until he personally accepted Jesus. And after he was healed, he knew that something happened to him. He just wasn't exactly sure what. However, by the time he met Jesus that second time, he was fully ready to embrace Jesus for who he was. Now, notice that the Pharisees commanded the man when he was questioning him to give glory to God. Did you notice that? And remember, giving glory to God means God made visible in me. So when the man says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, he actually did just that. He gave glory to God by recognizing God made visible in Jesus. Oops, I think I just went out. Like the man, when we move from spiritual blindness to spiritual sightedness, we are transformed. When we recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are transformed. When we give him the glory, we are transformed. The amazing thing that Jesus is praying to God in this prayer is that we can have this too. We can have God in me so that we as the body of Christ may be one as Jesus and God are one. This transformation has purpose. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he said that meaning you as an individual, but he also meant it for us as the bride, the body of Christ. Jesus is praying an abundant life for all believers, an abundant, transformed life. You know, just as the blind man didn't look the same to his friends, his family, his neighbors. I mean, some of these people said, I don't think this is even the same guy. So too, we should not be the same after a close-up personal meeting with the living God. When we meet Jesus, we should not be walking away completely unaffected, unchanged. And if we have, it means something has gone wrong. I mean, we may have gone to church, we may have checked a box off of our to-do list, but we've missed out on the greatest relationship that we are going to have with the God who loves us the most the one who sent his son to die for us so that we would know the depths of his love and have an eternity with God. Jesus says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus knew his time was coming to a close. It was imperative that they become perfectly one because he wasn't going to be in a physical body much longer. When the world began asking questions as the blind man did, who is the son of man? 
Jesus wasn't going to be able to give voice to that much longer. Instead, it was going to fall to the people who believed in him, his disciples, the church, you, me. You see, it's a tremendous responsibility to explain Jesus. And if we didn't have the Holy Spirit to guide us and the truth revealed by witnesses like the writers of the Gospels and Paul and the other letter writers, we would be lost. But we aren't lost. We have the Word. We have the Word of God. And yet, as we sit here, there's still division within the church. And Jesus knew that there would be division within the church. I mean, we have division in the sense that there are many denominations with differing beliefs and traditions. There's Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Assembly of God, Seventh-day Adventists, our own denominations, the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. I mean, the list could go on and on. I could take up five minutes if I wanted to list out denominations for you. But I think you got the idea. And then there is division within denominations. There's division within churches. We struggle. We struggle with being perfectly one. When I was a kid, we lived in South Florida, and all of our family lived in Ohio. It made for really long drives whenever we went to go see them. And my mom would sometimes reach pretty far out trying to find things to entertain us to keep that trip interesting. And once she played a tape, maybe an eight-track showing my age here. Um, it was a Christian comedian, and I don't really remember the details of the skit, and I certainly can't present it to you as uh, he did to make it funny, but he talked about this church deciding to replace their worn-out hymnals. I mean, that's wonderful, isn't it? Oh my goodness, it was a disaster. I mean, one group was determined that these new hymnals should be read. Beautiful red hymnals. Another group was determined that these hymnals should be blue. Beautiful blue hymnals. And neither side would give an inch. And the end result? The church split over the color of hymnals. And the fact that I remember this at all is a testament to the impact that story made on a very young me. I mean, I know the skit was intended to be funny, and I know that it was delivered in such a way that it was, but it was also a very sad commentary on what can happen within the body of Christ. And the reality is that churches split, and if you've ever been a part of a church split, it's very painful. And if you've ever left a church family that you deeply love, it's very painful. So one of the very last things that Jesus prayed to God was that this would not happen. It would not happen to his bride, his beloved, his church. You see, when we fail to display this perfect oneness, this perfect unity, which, by the way, is not perfect uniformity, and I'm going to come back to that, we fail to show God's love to the world. We fail. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that Everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. 
this perfect unity is not perfect uniformity. God is not asking us to think exactly alike on everything. We are not robots. We have differing opinions on all manner of things. Someone name your favorite sports team. Anybody? Who? The Eagles. Is that everyone's favorite team? No. Pick a food, your favorite food. Throw it out there. Huh? Steak. Oh, well. All right. You're going to get some uh, favorites on that. What was that? Oh, well, some people. Shrimp and say, so you got to see somebody's good. So we got some, our, we got our uh, land and sea. And I bet some people would go for tacos, you know? And there's, there's, and then there's people who combine it and make it shrimp tacos. And then there's, the, you get into what, politics? Everybody's like, oh, politics. But you see, that's the thing. We've, we've got our registered Democrats, our registered Republicans, our registered independents, and it's all good because Jesus didn't pray for unity in that. He didn't pray for unity in sports. He didn't pray for unity in food. He didn't pray for unity in politics. He prayed that we were united in him. That was the unity he was praying for. He expected us to have differing opinions on everything else. He expected us to be united in him. And the reason for that is because when the world looks at us, the church, whether we like it or whether we don't, we are wearing the cross. We are Jesus to the outside world. That is heavy. And if it's feeling heavy right now, it should. You see, normally we would have communion in this service. And that would give us an opportunity to reflect on what Jesus did for us at the cross. He poured himself out for you and for me. And what that means for us is that our sin is covered. And when God looks at us, all he sees is Jesus. The body of Jesus laying over us. That's the power of the cross. And as believers, when I look at the cross, that's what I see. I see Jesus, and I see his sacrifice. But I'm going to say it again. We are the cross to the outside world. For all those people who don't know Jesus and who don't know what Jesus did for, him, for them, they don't see Jesus covering them, transforming them, making them a beloved child of God. They don't see that. They see you. They see me. They see this church and how we operate in the world as a body of believers. And then the question becomes, when they look at us, either individually or as a whole, do they see Jesus? You see, Jesus says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know, that the world may know that you sent me loved them even as you loved me. This is a prayer. Has Jesus' prayer been answered? Can we do better? One of the ladies in my Bible study shared that God is not a God of condemnation, 
but a God of conviction. So if you feel condemned, that is not from God. But if you feel convicted, that is God speaking to you. So I pray that we just open ourselves to God's word this morning and allow God to speak to us and convict us in those areas in our lives that need changing. Hebrews 4.12 says, Indeed, the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God knows your heart. God will change your heart if you will allow it. You see, God is in the transformation business. Amen? Amen.